Hey everybody, Matt Camp here with Deal Machine. Uh, we're proud to team up with Tom Zeeb here to give you guys a ton of free stuff. So our goal here is to give you the free toolkit to get out there and start finding off-market deals. Um, we're proud to say we're the highest rated and most reviewed app out there to go find off-market deals. And we've had over 10,000 deals done using the Deal Machine app. Now, when you download it, you can get it for free at tomzeeb.com slash dealmachine, and you'll get a seven-day free trial with that. And jumping into Deal Machine, you'll be able to go out there, start driving for dollars, start pulling lists, start finding the most motivated sellers in your market. And then you can start marketing to them directly. You can skip trace, you can send them postcards, you can knock on their door. There's a variety of things that we can help you out with using our technology. And then from there, you can actually evaluate the deals, You know, comp it, use our AI assistant to help you out there as well. You really get the full toolkit to go from you know having no real estate experience to landing your first deal using technology. So it's tomzeebcom slash deal machine for that free trial. With it, if you go through that link, you're going to get $30 free in marketing credits that cover a couple hundred free skip traces or 50 free postcards, give you everything that you need to start reaching out to sellers. So um, get out there and happy deal finding. And this is a really super duper important negotiation point. Just because it's a deal right out of the gate doesn't mean I can't negotiate it. You have to go through this negotiating process and you have to go through the dance with the motivated seller to lock them into you. Otherwise, the deal is at risk. Welcome to the Get Traction Podcast. If you are ready to learn exactly what it takes to become a real estate entrepreneur, this is the show for you. With your host, founder of Traction Real Estate Mentors and president of the Traction Real Estate Investors Association, Tom Z. Welcome back. It's Tom Zeeb on the Get Traction Podcast with producer Harry Duran. Hey, Harry. Hey, happy to be here, Tom. Awesome. Uh, Harry, today I want to dig a little deeper into the make the deal portion, uh, the second pillar of the three pillars it takes to, uh, to produce great real estate deals. And um, specifically in make the deal, let's talk about pinpointing and packaging. Let's do it. Pinpointing, one of the first things you need to learn how to do as you start to negotiate out a deal, as you start to make a deal, as you start to take a, a lukewarm lead that you got from your marketing and turn it into a red hot deal, right? Bring them from no to yes. The first thing we have to do is pinpoint what their problem is. So we're reaching out to motivated sellers and they're motivated because they have a problem. So as we identify what that problem is, we want to get them talking about that problem and feeling the pain of that problem. That way we're turning up the heat on them so that they're more likely to want to solve that problem, more likely to want to say yes. It also gives us the information we need to put together the right kind of package. So pinpoint and packaging are very closely related because as we're figuring out what their problems are, we're also by nature figuring out how to solve them, right? And we're going to solve them through putting together a great package that's going to fix their issues, fix their issues by selling their house quickly to us. What are some of the mistakes people make in this pinpoint portion of the deal? You know, one of the big mistakes I see is that people don't push enough. They don't, I think people don't want to feel pushy naturally. So they wind up not pushing at all. And if you've got somebody that's having a hard time, get them to talk about it. It might be uncomfortable for that person at the beginning, but you're doing them a favor because if you never push, if, if let's say no one's pushed them to do anything, then they just sit there and wait and they wait and they wait and they wait. And sometimes they run out of options because they run out of time where if you push them to make a decision now, and if you can get them to see ahead to the future and the what's going to happen and see why it's better off for them to solve the problem now when they have more options, you're doing them a favor. So that it's almost a mind shift change 
for us as investors, because rather than seeing it as making somebody uncomfortable by talking about something that's uncomfortable for them, we're actually pushing them to think ahead to the future about what's going to happen if you don't solve your problem. And we're doing them a favor because if no one else has made them think that way and no one else has gotten them to think forward and think of the future, then that's actually a really nice gift we're giving to somebody is to think about that. Now, hopefully the answer to that ones up being that, okay, they're going to sell the property to us and they're going to have all the problems solved and we're going to make a profit on it. That's fantastic. But the outcome could also be you're going to push them. They're going to realize that they need to move ahead, but maybe they have to move ahead with somebody else. That's okay too. There's nothing wrong with that. So that's one of the things that we're after is making sure that we push enough to get them to solve their problem. Do you find that the people who have success with this method have certain personality traits or, or do they, are they better communicators or do they understand that this is a, uh, an important skill that they need to cultivate? Maybe empathy? Is, does that, do you find that that comes across sometimes? Hmm. Actually, no. Here's the interesting thing. Let, let me cover empathy first and, and then, I'll, then I'll, I'll go back through those. So empathy is, uh, the classic definition is walk a mile in another man's shoes. And that way you understand how, how he feels and thinks. I actually disagree. I think if you walk a mile in someone else's shoes, you're just going to have sore feet. <laughs> you're, still, you're still not going to be able to think exactly like they think, and you're not going to make the decisions that they're going to make. One thing I tell people is no matter what, we make an offer because that's what we do. We make offers. The more offers we make, the more deals we will close. And we have to make offers compliant with the way we're taught I and mean, make our offers compliant with our formulas so that it would be a deal for us. Even if you don't think it has a snowball's chance and you know where of being accepted, I want you to make the offer anyway. Because as empathetic as you try to be, that person still, they're the ones with the problem. You might, you might be surprised. They just say yes and accept your offer. That happens a lot of times. Never prejudice yourself against any offer. You make the offer and even if you don't think they're going to take it, make it anyway because they might surprise you. Worst comes to worst, they say no, and then you just start, you just keep renegotiating. You keep negotiating until you get to somewhere where they can say yes, if that works for you. But the number of times, like I'm even thinking back to my very first deal. There was no way I thought the guy would accept my lower offer because I made a lower offer for all cash and then I made a higher offer on terms. If he had let me take over the existing mortgage and let me pay him out over the next year, I would have given him more money. And in my mind, why would somebody not go for more money? In fact, I almost didn't make the lower cash offer because of that. And when I made him the two offers and he took the lower offer for cash, Harry, I almost started arguing with him. <laughs> like, why would you do that? Why would, and then I went, and then I stopped myself, Tom, it's okay. It, that's what he wanted because that worked for him. I didn't force him to choose either offer. If it, one of the reasons I like to make multiple offers when I'm packaging up a, a solution is it shows them, look, you can take my low offer for cash. That means you're flexible on price. Or I give a higher offer on terms, like taking over the existing mortgage and or uh, offering owner financing, right? They can, I, it's a layaway plan. I buy, I buy them out over time. Well, that's at a higher price. So the, if they're willing to do that one, then they're flexible on terms. So what I am telling them by making two offers each and every time is that they are either flexible on price or they're flexible on terms. If they're not flexible on either one, well, then we don't have a deal. I can't work with, they need to be flexible on price, they need to be flexible on terms. If they're not flexible on either one, then it's just, I'm, I'm not there yet. It's not the right deal for me. So that's one of the interesting things about empathy. I always wanna be careful about it is um, you still don't know what they're gonna say and how they're gonna think. So 
you flat out just need to make the offer no matter what. That's an important distinction. Yeah, very important. Uh, Harry, the first part of your question was about how to talk to them and how they feel and asking the right questions and being able to get that conversation moving. Now, that's something a lot of investors, particularly new investors, struggle with as well is they're nervous about having that conversation. So it's simply a matter of being a good listener at the beginning. So you want to ask probing questions, ask a lot of open-ended questions, not so, you know, not yes, no questions. You know, does it have a garage? Yes. Does it have a basement? No. I mean, those are yes, no questions. Those aren't interesting. It's more get conversations started by saying things such as, hmm, why are you selling the property? How long have you been trying to sell it? Do you have it listed with an agent? What are you going to do if you don't sell the property, right? That starts to turn the heat up as well and make them second guess what they're doing. Or maybe they haven't thought that far ahead. So sometimes just asking those questions open-ended enough to get a conversation going, listening to what they're saying and always digging a little deeper. So, oh, that's interesting. Tell me more about that. Oh, I'm selling the, I'm selling the property because, you know, I inherited it from my mother, but it's been vacant for five years and, you know, my nephew is living in it and doesn't want to get out. Oh, that's fascinating. Oh, interesting. So tell me more about that. Your mother died five years ago, but your nephew's been in there and isn't paying any rent and uh, doesn't want to get off that gravy train because <laughs> that happens all the time with, these, with, with those kind of probate deals. There's somebody living in the property uh, for free and, and they're problematic. So you keep asking probing questions and going deeper and deeper, and that will start to build the rapport with somebody. Here's the interesting thing, Harry. Rapport between you and your motivated seller is simply a matter of having them open up and talk to you. So the process of asking good questions and then listening to their answers deepens the relationship between the two of you. Even if it's a fairly clinical conversation and not very emotional, the fact that someone's talking to you and is spending the time with you is a, like if they wanna spend the time on the phone and not in a rush, that's a good sign. That means rapport is deepening. And the better you rapport with someone, the more locked into you they are, the, the more likely they are to work with you and only you and, and not pay any attention to the competition because you're asking better questions and you're listening better. Uh, and the more likely they are to want to say yes. So it's a very important thing of just getting that conversation rolling. And if you struggle with that, one of the things in my rapid cash generator implementation kit is a deal worksheet. And it's got a ton. When I say a ton, I mean, it's packed. It's one side of one piece of paper packed with questions. And it, you use it as a crutch when you're on the phone. So if you don't know what to say, you just look down and ask a question that hasn't been asked yet. If you don't have an answer to that question, then ask. If they start you know, rambling and talking, then let them talk because they'll be answering questions and fill in the blanks. And when they pause and come up for a breath, then go in with the next question, keep it moving because it's, it's that conversational process that builds rapport with the person. It's so interesting because it reminds me of what I do with my interviews, my podcast interviews and some of the stuff we coach clients on, this idea of listening and being a good listener because a lot of times we're so invested in what our next question is going to be. And this, this happens to new podcasters. They just want to jump in because they're so nervous. They're going to just ask the next question and they don't give people the time to give a full answer. Uh, and it's also something I, I think it's referred to as the five whys. When people tell you something, you ask them why and they give you an answer and then you're like, well, why? And then they give you another answer and you ask them why. And sometimes it takes like the third or fourth or maybe even the fifth why to get to the true, true, true cause, you know, why they're really giving that response. Yeah. And that's what you know, I think I've referred to that previously as peeling off layers of the onion. And yeah, each why is another layer and another layer. And just because you ask a question the first time, that doesn't mean you're right at the heart of the problem. You, you peel off that first layer and then you ask for more, peel off that layer and ask for more. 
yeah, until you really know you're at the pure crux of the issue. And that's when the good deals are made and because that's when the rapport is built. And people are then looking to you for a solution because you've pinpointed their problem. So as you move to packaging up a solution that would work for them, the package is important. It's, and the package is purely based on everything you pinpointed as a problem. So using that same example, if they said, they've effectively told you they've inherited the property because their mother passed away five years ago and there's a nephew living in the property who isn't paying. So there's a number of issues there, right? There's, there's some you know, remorse at, at, the, at the lost parent. There's the interesting inconvenience of having to deal with this house, particularly if they're out of town or you know, they've got their own life, their own family, their own kids, their own job, and now they have to deal with mom's house and there might be some emotion tied up in that as well. So you, you wanna make that clean and easy. They may have been told by an agent that they need to fix the property up to make it in tip top shape for the resale. Well, that's a pain in the butt for a lot of people. So if instead you tell them, I'll take it off your hands exactly as, as is, you don't have to spend a penny on it. Well, that's a really, really big problem solver for them. You figure that out when you ask the questions by pinpointing, and then you, you package it up in the solution and say, we'll just take it as is for this price. It's all done. You don't even need to come to town, right? Assuming they live out of town. Everything, will be, I'll have the, the escrow company, I'll have the settlement company, just send everything to you, title company, send everything to you. You sign it and FedEx it back. And that's a big benefit to the way you mention that as a benefit in the way you package up your offer. So it's, look, um, you know, you're flexible on price, great. Then, you know, here's, here's our offer. It'll be in all cash. Um, you don't need to come to town. Uh, there's somebody living in there. Let's start that conversation for getting them out uh, if we need to. I mean, Harry, there's been times I've, I've literally gone and dangled $500 in front of somebody said, come on, come on, get out, get out, get out. When you're all the way out, <laughs> there's an old saying in a lot of real estate contracts that um, a property needs to be vacant and broom clean, mm. right? You know, clean with a broom. All, all I care about is that it's vacant. <laughs> it's a mess anyway. I'm like, I don't, no, 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 please put the broom down. Just come outside, take your $500 and keep walking. You know, and keep moving. There's been times, you know, we've, we've hired a moving truck for somebody as well. So, okay, how much is that moving truck going to be? Hire it, good, we'll pay for it. I just, just please be out of the house when we need you out of the house. Um, that's the main thing. And that usually happens. Uh, the reason I keep bringing this up, there's always, uh, you know, there's always a nephew or a grandkid or a sibling or somebody's living in that property rent-free. Uh, and that, that's, you're going to find this particularly with, when, when you market to probates. There's somebody living in there and they don't have any motivation or urge to move on because then they'd have to start paying for somewhere to stay. But the other siblings or the other heirs to the property uh, usually have a very vested interest in, in getting them out. So um, again, you find that problem out through the pinpoint process, and then you put that in your package, uh, and then you use the negotiation techniques that we've talked about in other episodes to start to convince them to say yes, because then they can say yes to your package. That's good. Makes a lot, that approach makes a lot of sense. So one of the things you mentioned, Tom, was you touched on this a little bit, so maybe we can we can tease it out. Under package, you talked about two types of offers, a cash offer and a terms offer. Can you go into more detail on that? Yeah, absolutely. One of the reasons I like to package up my offers that way, Harry, is uh, let me ask you this. If I offer you $100,000 for your property and you agree upon that, now you can say two things to me. What are they? Yes or no. Correct. Yeah, it's yes or no. Because I've made you one offer. I've offered you $100,000. You say yes or you say no. Well, now, what if we do this? What if I offer you $100,000 cash for your property or I offer you 
$125,000 paid out over the next five years. Now, what are your options? Then the wheels start turning and you start to think about where I am in terms of cash flow and how much I need immediately. And so if, if I have time and I have the luxury of waiting, then obviously it would make sense to wait for the, for the higher payout. But how many options do you have? Two options. Two options, except not really. Four. No, you have three. You could say at option A, I'll take the all cash. You could say option B, I'll take a higher price paid out over five years. Or C, the third choice is no. You still could say no to me. Yeah. So what's his was interesting. It's a little almost psychological thing. When you make somebody one offer, they can take it or leave it. They know that it's yes or no. When you make them two offers, they think A or B. They seem to forget that C is no, that that even exists. So it's not that they're never going to say no. It's just that a lot of times, rather than forcing them to say yes or no, you're making them contemplate now A or B. And if by those offers, you're telling people you need to be flexible on price or you need to be flexible on terms, if they're not flexible on either one, then they're not the right person for you and you tell them that. So when I make offers, I always make two offers, okay? When I put together the package and present it to the motivated seller, I'm making them two offers. That way, they're looking at A or B and they're telling me what they're flexible on. And if they're not, you know, again, if they're not flexible on either, I say we're not there yet. Uh, but if they are, then we can work for those two deals. Now, here's the other thing. I always make them two offers, a low offer for cash and the higher offer on terms. Almost predictably, 99.5% of the time, they want the price of my higher offer for the terms of my all cash offer. So basically no terms. They want flat out cash, but they want the higher price. I know that's what's going to happen. Mm. So do you think if I know that's what's going to happen, then I've made those offers at the beginning, knowing what the next step of the process is going to be. That's some of that predictive thinking ahead. So I'm already guiding where I want the price to go in that negotiation by starting off saying, okay, I know they're going to want my higher price. So that higher price to me is still acceptable, mm. but I've made them fight a little bit for it. Cause we talked about the, the, having them move you up to your price, right? You, you want them to bring you up to their price in the negotiation. So that's part of the way I do it by the way I package the deal. What's interesting about those approaches is that you're always trying to ensure you're one step ahead so that you're not caught off guard in these negotiations and these conversations or caught flat footed uh, when, when they say something that you didn't expect. And it seems like what makes this approach so special is that you're, you're taking those into account. And because of the years of experience you've had, you know, you've seen where these eventually end up. So you're, you're trying to be more proactive. Exactly. And that is the thing. It's that experience over the years of people always wind up thinking about things the same way. They tend to negotiate the same way. You wind up with, it's not, you know, people think it's going to be this massively diverse, you know, random things you have to deal with. You're going to start to see so many patterns once you put it into practice and everyone just falls into these set patterns and you know how to handle it. You know which techniques to use, you know where to start. You, it's almost, it almost becomes oddly predictable at that point. The key is to be doing enough marketing so you're getting enough volume of leads, you have enough lead flow, that way you can start to make offers and talk to people and, and pinpoint what the problems are, package up a solution that works and then persuade them to say yes. And the more, you, the more volume you have of that, you're gonna see the patterns and it gets easier and easier for you each and every time. Do you have any examples of these types of conversations where you've made both offers and how they went? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I've got a good one that also kind of talks about how that rapport building process that happens when you pinpoint a problem the right way 
and, and package it up that also eliminates competition. So I had a fellow call me uh, based on one of my out-of-state absentee owner postcards, which is you know, one of my favorite marketing techniques. I just, I love that out-of-state absentee owner postcard. And he didn't reach me right away and my call service didn't answer the phone. So he went to voicemail and on the voicemail, he left me his address. Hey, I'm, I'm calling about this property. He left the address. So before I called back, I was able to look the property up quickly and get a, run some really quick comps, some comparables, figure out what the property would, would be worth all fixed up. And it was worth about $340, $350 all fixed up. So I called the guy, said, you know, hey, this is Tom. You, you called and left a message. Very sorry. We missed you. Want to see what can I do to help you with your property? And how did you find us? He said, oh, I got one of your flyers in the mail. Now, Harry, whether it's a letter or a postcard or an actual flyer, they always call it a flyer. It's just a weird thing, right? It's something to get used to. No matter what it is, I got a flyer in the mail. Okay, well, wonderful. And we go through the process. I ask him, how much, how much are you asking for the property? He says, I'd like $80,000. Now, remember, I've already looked this property up. It's worth three forty dollars to three fifty. dollars The guy's saving eighty grand. Yeah. Even if I got to send a bulldozer in and knock it down, it's fine, right? It's a deal as is. It's one of those things that happens maybe once a year where it's just a deal right out of the gate. But, and this is a really super duper important negotiation point, just because it's a deal right out of the gate doesn't mean I can't negotiate it. You have to go through this negotiating process and you have to go through the dance with the motivated seller to lock them into you. Otherwise, the deal is at risk. So, like we talked about before, if he said $80,000, if I say, yes, let's do it. What's the first thought I've put in his head now? I went too low. I went too low or I could have gotten higher or what's wrong here? Why did he jump that mm -hmm. fast? So instead I had to flinch. I said, Ooh, $80,000. That's a lot of money, <laughs> right? Which feels almost strange. But, and then I countered him. I said, well, no, looking at everything and running things through my spreadsheet, I might be able to offer you 71,579. And he went, ooh, wow. And he kind of flinched and he goes, and we went back and forth. And then I dropped to 77. He came up to 73. We split the difference and settled on $75,000. Now, so he was asking 80. I used my negotiation techniques to bring him down to 75. And he brought me up from you know, 71,579 to 75. So he feels like he won. He's now locked in because he brought me up to his price. Did I need the $5,000 discount? Not, not in this time, but to no. your point, you have to treat each one the same way. Exactly. I didn't need it from a financial perspective. I needed it from the ability to lock him into me and lock him into the deal. So I said, Ooh, 75. Well, I might be able to do that. I need to check with my people. Now, here's one of the things you want to do. You want to make sure you stop the wearing away process. So when I came back to him, I said, okay, we are able to do $75,000, uh, but I need to know, do you, do you have access to a notary? Because I need you to get the contract notarized and send it back to me immediately. Now, a, con a real estate contract does not need to be notarized, but I asked him to do it. So I was asking him for something in return. And so I was asking him to go do something for me and that he would go identify himself in front of a, a neutral third party, show his identification sign, and then I know that he's on board. So he said, fine. Next day, the phone rings. And it's this guy again. 
says, hey, young man, um, uh, you know, I got a few of these flyers in the mail, but you were the only person that called me back. Isn't that interesting? So again, everyone thinks there's massive competition. He only got a few of the flyers in the mail, all right? Yeah. So what's a few? Three, four, five max? Mm -hmm. He goes, well, um, somebody else called me back. I said, oh, and? He goes, and they're willing to give me the full 80. <laughs> Quote, unquote, the full 80. Now, what's your kind of base motivation? What, what, what do you instinctively want to do there, Harry? There's two things. One would be to remind him of the agreement we had and, the, the, and I think to bring up the fact that we were able to work back and forth and come to a price that we both felt was fair and, and remind him of that. Someone else is offering him the full 80. Do you have any desire to offer more? Being that the place is worth 350. Yeah, it's, it would be an easy compromise because you still, you've done your homework and you know what the price is, you know what the property is worth. Yeah, because he's not anywhere near my maximum level offer. I had every single kind of, I felt like every cell in my body saying, okay, offer me 80, 85, 90, go higher, higher, just beat this guy, beat the competition. It's a very kind of base desire, right? Base motivation. But I had to lean back on my training and say, no, 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 just wait, 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 wait. So the, the proper answer there is, sir, exactly what are you asking me to do? Because if I say 85, what if that's, you know, right? What if he only wanted 82? And in this case, he said to me, he goes, it was, well, he goes, I guess, you know, I don't know what it is. I just like you better. Hmm, interesting. So I'm the one doing the silly negotiating dance with him. I'm the one offering a crazy 71,579 and making him bring me up. And yet he likes me better than the guy who gave him what he wanted right off the bat. Isn't that interesting? So he, I said, what are you at? What exactly what are you asking me to do? He said, uh, can you give me the full 80? So my desire to go higher, 82, 85, 90,000, I would have been giving money away. All he wanted was the full 80. To which I said, I flinched, right? Verbal flinch. Whew, I might be able to do that, but I do need to check with my team, which I, you know, let me call you back in a few minutes, which I did. And then I said, okay, we are willing to do that, but here's the thing. We've got another, a number of other offers going out and other properties we want to work on. Uh, do you have access to a fax machine? And can you fax this contract? I sign it and fax it back to me immediately. I need it by the end of the day so we can move ahead on this. So again, I'm asking him for something in return. He said yes, and we moved ahead beautifully. So what a great way of kind of boxing out the competition, not worrying about what else might happen, and realizing that it was the rapport building from the way I pinpointed his problem and the way I put together a package, the way I made him fight for his price, the way I made him bring me up to quote unquote his price, eliminated the competition. Because when someone else just gave him exactly what he wanted out of the gate, he didn't like them or trust them as much as he did me. That's the power of negotiating the right way. And the importance of always falling back on your training. Yes. Always fall back in your training. That's why you got to get good training and then, and then stay true to it. Yeah. And then I think at the end, in the end, you continue to maintain those relationships as well, because, you know, if you ever had anyone in casual conversation, bring up that they're selling a home, I, I imagine he had such a good experience with you. So he'll think of you first. Oh, absolutely. So that's helpful, Tom. I think it's this, the, the little nuances because, you know, we, we focused in the last episode more on the persuasion side, but this idea of pinpointing the deal and packaging it, again, these are just things we're layering on top 
of the, the training so that people understand there's a way to have a successful conversation and also to not let greed or not doing the practice get in the way of having a conversation with someone so you're making the best offer. And this last example was, was, was really helpful because I think instinctually when people undergo these negotiations, if they're not experienced, they're just excited to make either the first deal or they're just excited to get in and get out. Um, and I think whether it's a small deal or whether it's a big deal, continuing to fall back on your practice and continuing to, to use the flinching and to have the techniques to go back and forth on price are really helpful because it'll, it'll, it'll pay off when you get to a bigger deal where it really counts. Fantastic. That's why we studied negotiation, put it to use and to follow the process. So we'll catch up with folks on the next episode and we'll start diving into the get paid pillar. Sounds great. We'll talk to you then. Thanks for listening. Your next step is to visit gettractionpodcast.com. There you'll find all current episodes and a link to download a free copy of Tom's Deal Flow Cheat Sheet. Happy wholesaling.